We're taking a series uh, for four weeks here to look at some of the characters in the Bible, some of the well-known stories maybe, or some that you don't know perhaps as well, but just to see the experiences of some of the biblical characters and their experiences with God and with each other and what they learned about themselves and what we can learn from them about ourselves and about God. Two weeks ago, we started with Moses and the story of Moses' calling that happened at the burning bush. Maybe you remember that story, and particularly how God got Moses' attention and Moses got curious about what God was doing. And as a result of his curiosity, he heard a call from God to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. And really that a calling is simply God putting the divine work in others' hands. And then last week, we went to another Old Testament character, Ruth, and read about her story and her relationship with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and what became of them when their husbands had died. And we saw in Ruth an incredible example of compassion and care for Naomi that she said, no matter what happens, no matter where you go, I'll be with you, I'll go with you, I'll be yours, you'll be mine all the way. If you missed either one of those or you just want to revisit them, we have them on the website or on the podcast. You can go back and listen to them. I hope that you will. But this morning, we're going to turn our attention now to another Old Testament character, David. In particular, the story of David's battle with Goliath. And so, spoiler alert, the scripture we're going to read is the end. So I'm going to tell you how it finishes before we talk about how it went. And the scripture comes from 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 45 through 50. It's going to be on the screen. So you can follow along as I read it out loud. And this is what it says. But David told the Philistine, that's Goliath, You are coming against me with sword, spear, and scimitar, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel's army, the one you've insulted. Today the Lord will hand you over to me. I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will feed your dead body and the dead bodies of the entire Philistine camp to the wild birds and the wild animals. Then the whole world will know that there is a God on Israel's side. And all those gathered here will know that the Lord doesn't save by means of sword and spear. The Lord owns this war and he will hand all of you over to us. The Philistine got up and moved closer to attack David, and David ran quickly to the front line to face him. David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone. He slung it, and it hit the Philistine on the forehead. The stone penetrated his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. And that's how David triumphed over the Philistine with just a sling and a stone, striking the Philistine down and killing him. And David didn't even have a sword. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Eric. How old are you, Eric? Are you 10? Nine. Sorry, I gave you an extra year. That's, that's a nine-year-old on the piano for you right there. Amen. We thank God for the gifts of our children. As far as the story of David and Goliath goes, I, I, so I spoiled it. I, I read the end first. So let's go back to the beginning 
And I don't know what you know about David or don't know about David. I mean, he's, he's well known. David was the youngest of eight brothers to his father, Jesse. I don't know, is anybody else in here a younger brother? Maybe you have older siblings. I'm an older brother, and it's only been in my adulthood that I've come to realize what I did to my sister as, a, as an older sibling. And so I can only imagine, you know, what David probably went through having seven older brothers in his life to live in the shadow of. But, but David was the youngest of eight. He was a shepherd in the family, looked after the flock. Um, he was musical, gifted musically, played something, you know, like the harp. Uh, the scriptures tell us that he was a, was a fine young man. He wasn't the biggest or the strongest. Um, didn't necessarily stand out in any way. Just perfectly adequate. Maybe you know about David and Bathsheba when he had become king of Israel. and The fact that David was the second king of Israel after Saul and and is historically considered to be the greatest of the kings of Israel. He lived about a thousand years before Jesus was born. And in fact, Jesus was prophesied that he would be born, the Messiah would be born out of the line and the lineage of David. And and that was true, that, that Jesus was born of David's lineage. And you probably know, ever heard the story of Goliath before. Maybe you know about Michelangelo's statue Or you know that there was a battle in which David retrieved the ark from the Philistines and brought it back into Jerusalem and sort of famously came in dancing in his underwear. He was celebrating in an undignified fashion before the Lord. David's life is full of ups and downs. I mean, highs and lows, probably like most of us. But in this particular story, we read about David and the Philistines. And the Philistines were sort of the arch enemies of the Israelites. I mean, they were constantly back and forth in battle um, under King Saul, under King David. There's story after story of that. And, and partly because they were neighbors. I mean, that Israel, if you know, Israel sort of sits on the western coast of the Mediterranean. But then when you go down the south of that coast, that's where the Philistines lived. And they shared a border with the Israelites. And, and they were perpetually at war with one another. And the Philistines often advancing against the Israelites to, to try to take their territory, take their land, their spoils. And, and so there are many stories in the Scriptures of those battles. I don't know, maybe you've had a neighbor before that you didn't get along with too well. There's just always something back and forth between you. Well, that's kind of the way it is or was with the Israelites and the Philistines. And in this particular story, the Philistine army had moved out to the edge of the Elah Valley, which is sort of the valley that separated them. And they had come to the hillside, their side of the hill that would go down into the valley. And so Saul, King Saul, had brought his army, the Israelite army, out to the hillside, their hillside on their side of the valley. And so the two armies were sort of faced off against each other there on the hillsides and and each kind of waiting for the other to move because really it would have been a strategic mistake to advance your army down into the valley where you would have been exposed to the other army and and so neither one was going first and and then in the midst of that we hear about this guy Goliath 
of Gath. And that was a region where the men were big. Like freakishly big. And the scripture tells us that this man Goliath stepped out from all of the Philistines to issue a challenge to the Israelites to single combat, which was common back then, that rather than the whole armies going off and fighting against one another, they would resort to this single combat where we would send our best man and you would send your best man and they would fight. They would battle each other on our behalves. And whoever wins, their army wins. And you can hear it in the challenge that Goliath issues to the Israelites I'm here as the champion of the Philistines. You send your best man and we'll fight to the death. And whoever loses then will be the servants, the slaves of the winners. And Goliath is described as this mountain of a man. I mean, some interpretations of the Bible say nine feet tall. There's some later writings that say he was probably more like six nine. Either way, the average man back then was about five five. Five and a half feet tall at best. And David was a child among them. And so it doesn't matter if you're nine feet or six feet nine. Like, I mean, you're just a giant at that point. And so this giant of a man, Goliath, comes out from the Philistine army and issues this challenge. And not only is he huge, but it, the scriptures describe his armor. That he had a hundred pounds worth of armor on. And helmet and sword and spear and shield with a shield bearer that shield was so heavy he had somebody who'd carry it for him until he needed it I mean just this incredibly imposing figure that steps out onto the battlefield and tells the Israelite army send your best man to fight me and we'll battle And not only does he challenge them to a battle, but after having done this for 40 days, it says in the scriptures, day in and day out of him coming out and issuing this challenge, then he started to make it personal and started insulting them, making fun of them, taunting them. And not only insulting them, but then insulting their God, our God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And essentially saying, if there's not anybody among you who's brave enough to come out and fight on behalf of your nation and your God, then what does that say about your God? Calling into question even their faith. The deepest part of who they were and who they believed in and what they believed in. I mean, Goliath was laying into them. Taunting them relentlessly. I don't know if you've ever seen or experienced anything like that. I, I, what comes to mind for me, and this tells you a little bit who I am, uh, it's the scene, from, uh, the scene with the French soldiers on the wall of the castle in uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, you know, and just taunting the nobody. Monty Python, okay, it's fine. <laughs> it's a niche, I recognize that. But, but here's this, thank you, George, amen. Yes. Here's this, Bully, essentially, stepping out in front of the Israelites, this larger-than-life blowhard, stepping every day out and shouting insults at others, defying them and logic to stop him, baiting anybody and everybody in opposition to him into a fight. 
but into a fight on his terms. The way he wants to battle. And you know, there's one way to read this story and understand it and interpret it that's literal, that's physical, tangible. You got this bully behaving like this and, and challenging them and their faith and what they stand for. And then there's another layer to it like there usually is with the scriptures where you read it deeper. Spiritually. And consider the fact that all of us deal with an enemy. An accuser. An attacker. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's part of our past or our history something we've been through or are going through maybe it's something that's been done to us or it's an attitude or an opinion that we hold a mistake that we've made something we don't understand But all the same is this enemy that we deal with, that we fight, that sometimes looms large over us, appears to us like something that's more than we can handle, attacking us, insulting us, day after day. After day. And we feel like there's nothing we can do. Against such a formidable enemy. And that's where the Israelites were. And in that place, their response according to the scriptures is they were afraid. It says they were deathly afraid of the enemy. Who was towering over them, bearing down on them. And they said to themselves and to each other, We can't fight this fight. We can't win this battle. Not on these terms, not on this battlefield. And fear can be crippling can cause us to freeze or to lose focus. See, they were all so focused on Goliath and how intimidating he was and how big he was and his armor and his weaponry. This puffed up bully, tall with armor, spear and sword shouting, look at me! Listen to me, sucking up all the air in the room and the air waves. They were all focused on him and how he wanted to wage the war, how he wanted to fight the battle. But they didn't see what David saw. The Lord, God Almighty. 
when David showed up to the battlefield, and he was just there to bring food to his brothers. His father had sent him to take some food to his brothers. Three of his brothers were in the army, were there on the battlefield. But David shows up about the time that Goliath is stepping out for his daily round of insults and challenges. And David hears it and says, no, this is not okay. The enemy is attacking and challenging not only us, but our God and our faith. The God who brought us to this place. Something needs to be done about this. And he's looking around and talking to the soldiers and and none of them are going to do anything about it. And so David says, well, I will. I'll fight. Little David, the runt of his family with those seven big brothers. So he goes to the king, to Saul, and says, I'll fight. And Saul takes one look at him and goes, nah, I don't know that's a good idea. And David tells Saul, listen, I'm a shepherd. I've been caring for the sheep as long as I can remember. And I've fought off lions and bears. The Lord has delivered me in those battles and God will be with me in this one. Sometimes when we're in the face of that towering enemy challenging us, challenging our faith, it's good to remember the times and the places where God has been with us before. Provided for us. Delivered us even brought victory in a place where it seemed like there was not going to be one. So David says to Saul, I'll fight. And Saul says, okay, well then we need to outfit you with some armor. So Saul gets his armor and puts it on the little boy David and all that goes with it, the helmet, the shield, the sword. And and it says that David can't even walk when he puts all of Saul's armor on. I picture a little boy putting on his dad's suit, you know, and it all just sort of draping off of him and doesn't fit and isn't going to work. And so David says back to Saul, no, I, I can't wear any of this. This is, good. this is not who I am. This has got to go. He takes it all off. And David goes out to the front lines, to the battlefield, in his own clothes, dressed like he would normally dress, with his sling and his stones, And what a vulnerable place to be. In the midst of that enemy, with all that he brings to the fight, for David to just step out there, who he is, like he is, as God made him. Humble, vulnerable, yet with such deep conviction and confidence. In the Lord. And with what God gave him. With who he was. With that sling. And not a a slingshot that we think of. You know the kids play with you. Pull it back. But right this was the one. The two long leather straps. And another piece in the middle. That you would put the rock where he could swing it. And throw the rock. That's what he knew how to do. That's who he was. That's what God had given him. So just who he was, where he was, or what God had given him, he stepped out into the battlefield. And, and as he went, Goliath continued to chant the taunts and yell. And that's where we see some of that stuff like, I'll feed your carcasses to the animals and to the birds. And, and David just says, no, that's not how this is going to go. And so it says Goliath saw David coming and he got up to go into battle. And David ran up 
to the front lines and pulled out his stone and his sling and started to swing it. And This is a good place to stop. There's a guy named Malcolm Gladwell who wrote a book called David and Goliath. I don't know if you've heard of him or heard of the book. It's pretty interesting. And, and if, you're, if you don't want to read the book and you're not going to read the book, that's fine, I understand. There's a TED Talk, if that's more your speed. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell did a TED Talk five years ago about David and Goliath. And what's interesting about the TED Talk and about the book is that Malcolm Gladwell makes the argument, and I kind of agree with him on some points, but he makes the argument that we've understood the story wrong. We understand that David and Goliath's story is this great underdog story, and you know, root for the underdog, and it comes through and beats the favorite. But Gladwell sort of systematically explains, and using the scriptures, how, in fact, David was the favorite, and Goliath was the underdog. Because probably Goliath's size was due to the fact of a a condition that he had, a pituitary gland condition that, that made him so big. But in all of his bigness and size, and if you read in the story, he was sort of a lumbering oaf. And there's the potential that he might have been blind or hard of seeing because he couldn't see David. And then he's out there weighed down with over 100 pounds of armor, in some ways sort of a sitting duck. And then there's David, who was a slinger. And as opposed to a soldier, an infantryman with the armor and the sword and the spears for that hand-to-hand close contact combat, the slinger was skilled from a distance. Could sling the rock without ever getting close to you. And so there's this sense in which, I mean, the way Gladwell talks about it, that, that in fact David had the advantage over Goliath. Because of who he was and who God was in him, what God had given him and what God was doing. That maybe, in fact, that story that we often know as an underdog story isn't an underdog story at all. But rather, David was sure to win that battle against that enemy. Which is what happens. He winds up his sling, lets loose of the rock, Goliath takes it in the forehead and falls to his death. But in those words that David says just before he kills Goliath, one of the things he says is, the Lord does not save by sword and spear. What an interesting thing to say on the battlefield when you got two armies lined up against each other. And it's kill or be killed. And you got this giant warrior who stepped out. And, and David says to him, and I think to all of the Philistines and to the Israelites who were around him, and to you and me down through history, know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear. God works another way. And in, in a way, that's sort of a foretelling of what Zechariah would say to the Israelites after they had been conquered and dispersed, and he's telling them that God will bring them back together one day and restore them for who they are. Zechariah says, the Lord says, it's not by power or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord, that this victory will be won. That's where our battle is waged, not against each other, not against one another, but it's a spiritual battle against evil and wickedness, oppression and injustice 
in whatever forms they present themselves. These are our baptismal vows. And our armor that we put on looks nothing like Saul's armor. It's the armor of God, according to the New Testament. And that's faith, peace, truth, justice, salvation. The stones that we fight with, our weapons aren't swords and spears. They're not even stones. It's fruit. We fight with the fruit of the Spirit. Our battle is a food fight. (laughs) We fight with love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. This is how we go into war and we go. We fight. We don't run and hide because the kingdom of God is at work in the world today. And God is calling you and me and all of us, not unlike David. God is putting a conviction in your heart and in mine and in ours to fight. What has God given you? Like David. God made David who he was. In one place, God said, that's a man after my own heart. What is God giving you? to advance the kingdom of God in the world? What is God convicting you of? That this can't be any longer. And I will be a part of pushing back against whatever evil or injustice or oppression it is. And my God, what does it look like when a community of people Stand up and step out together who we are, honest and vulnerable, with what God has given us, and say we are going to be a part of the kingdom of God, moving, growing, coming now. May it be so for Shambly and for the world. In just a minute, we're going to sing our closing hymn, Be Thou My Vision. As you sing those words, I would invite you to be mindful of what it might be that God is calling you to see, of your giftedness, of your conviction, and that as we sing it, we would carry it with us as we go. And I also want to say, if you're looking for a place, a home, a church, that you can be a part of a community of faith, Standing on our convictions together, I invite you to consider Shambly First Methodist. Will you stand now and we'll sing. Hymn number 451, Be Thou My Vision.